Hello, you're listening to the Science and the City podcast, your gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, Nadia Popovich. Looking back, it doesn't seem too long ago that online dating was a world relegated to two groups. The older crowd, those too busy with work or fed up with slim pickings, or to the creeper crowd, those hiding behind the internet's anonymous cloak. But one day, we woke up and bam, everyone you know and their sister seemed to be trying out online dating. In that growing landscape, OkCupid, which launched in 2004, holds the reputation of being the youngest, hippest, and notably most cheeky of the competition. Log on and you'll be faced with hundreds of questions, ranging from political outlook to whether you brush your teeth daily or have a liking for horror movies. Each of these queries is meant to separate out your personality and match it with the corresponding man or woman of your dreams. But what can all that data, the millions of responses garnered from those seeking their mates online, really tell us? A lot, it turns out. There is a science to studying how dating works in the kind of largest sense, or like what's going on with daters. That's OkCupid co-founder, Christian Rudder. He's been rummaging around the data willingly provided by the site's millions of users to gain some insight into the anthropology of human mating in the 21st century. Ever wondered how your race affects your chances of getting a date online? Or how about the top lies people tell in online dating? Well, Rudder has. And in the blog, OK Trends, he's come up with some interesting ideas about coupling on the internet, from the serious to the irreverent and risque. Rudder will be speaking at the Academy as part of Science in the Cities, Being Human in the 21st Century series on February 15th. But first, in this edition of our podcast, I sit down with the blogger himself in his Brooklyn apartment for a special preview of matchmaking in the digital age. So, to start, is there really a science to dating? Um, I mean, there's a chaos to it, and I guess there's, like, can be theories behind that sort of thing, but, like, in terms of best practices or something, like, in terms of management science or whatever, no, not really. I mean, it's just kind of so idiosyncratic, and so on a person-to-person level, so impossible to predict any particular outcome that, yeah, you couldn't really call it a science, I don't think. And I guess when I said there isn't, like, a science to dating, I meant that there's not a science for you, a single dater, to approach other people and try to date them, but there is a science to studying how dating works in the kind of largest sense, or like what's going on with daters in general, but I don't think there's like a science to a particular person's love life. Right, so I started with probably the harder question, but so to go back, so you're a Harvard-trained mathematician. How exactly did you get started running an online dating website? Trained is a strong word, but yeah, I went to Harvard, Uh, me and the other three founders all did. We together worked on a site called Sparknotes, which the other three guys started, and I joined very soon after they started it, which was like free study guides. And, you know, when we got done with that, we were kind of kicking around for the next thing to do. And I don't know, for some reason, online dating just kind of caught hold of us, and we decided it was the right way to spend the next eight now years of our lives. I guess also connecting it back to the math thing, we saw, particularly in the early 2000s, we started OkCupid in 2003 and launched in 2004, it didn't seem like there was a lot of like analysis going into how the current dating sites were matching people up. And we knew analysis was one of our strengths and we thought dating is something that could use a little bit more rigor. And so we tried to tackle the problem. 
So to start from the most basic level then of OkCupid, how does the algorithm match people up? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple at its base. We have thousands and thousands, I think the last time I checked was like 265,000 user-generated questions about everything under the sun, like how often you brush your teeth, do you think gun control is a good idea, what are your feelings on sex, I mean, in a lot of detail there, uh, what kind of relationship you're looking for, how much TV you watch, like literally everything that, that you really would ever want to know about a person, at least before you started dating them. Um, these are things that our users have sent in or submitted to the site. and. So the best of those questions have sort of bubbled up to the top, and we ask a new person who comes to OkCupid, we ask them these questions, and what we do is we ask you what your answer to the question is, what you want someone else to say to the question, and how important it is to you. So um, matching two people up is a matter of asking how well do they each satisfy each other's desire on this long array of questions. You know, So if we, you and I have answered 1,000 questions each, the same 1,000 questions, how well we match according to OkCupid okay, would be like how well my answers satisfy the answers that you want a person to answer those questions and how well your answers satisfy my desires basically. Of course the weights come into play where like if you and I agree on almost everything but there's a few super important questions to both of us that we disagree on obviously there's going to be a penalty there. And then there's some kind of like more sophisticated modeling that goes on after we get that kind of core number but that's really the basis of it is like how well do you each satisfy each other's criteria. You are sort of this blogging guru at OKCupid, among other things, um, the OK Trends blog, which has been hugely popular, and that involves a huge amount of data. How much data do you guys have, and when did you start to look at it in a way that brought you to the OK Trends blog? Well, how much data is, I guess, uh, ironically enough, difficult to quantify. I mean, we have, in one way or another, we know everything that anyone does on OKCupid. We probably had. I don't know, eight or nine million people come through our digital doors over the last few years. And we know every page that they've looked at, every person that they've messaged, every vote on a photo, every match search, blah, 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 down the line. So it's a lot, I guess, in short. And the, the blog kind of grew out of, um, we knew that we had a lot of interesting data. And, and we thought people might be interested in some of the things that were coming up because we would do these internal studies, sometimes just so we can make our own sort of business decisions, you know, about X, Y, or Z. And as a byproduct of that, we would find, you know, an interesting finding about how people message by race or how people are voting on each other or whatever. And we, we hired a publicist to kind of like put the data together in a way we thought might be publicly interesting. That didn't really work. So we decided to sort of write up our findings ourselves. And the blog is that. And we started in July of 09. And like you said, I guess before you started rolling the tape, uh, we, we haven't posted in a little while maybe like the last six or seven months. That's not for lack of interesting things going on. We've just had to kind of reprioritize just because we've been sort of growing a lot. Uh, but 2012 should have a lot more posts. And do you sort of just see patterns coming out of this data you have? Or are most of the blog posts made around like an existing idea you had and then you ask the data? Um, both. That's a good question. I mean, asking the data is a great way to put it, actually. Some of the things are sort of driven, we kind of have the say, what, what you might call like the title or the theme of the post before we actually look into any of the numbers. And of course, the danger in doing that is that sometimes you'll have thought through this great thing that could be happening and then the data doesn't really return it. And so you're just like, oh shit, I don't have anything to write about. So you have to start again. Sometimes it's the other way, I guess, bottom up, where we just are kind of like rooting around and looking for things, especially in the early days before we had our sort of editorial feet, we would just kind of like tool around and then be like, oh, let's write this up, you know, so... Both, I guess, is the answer. More, more and more of the kind of like um, theme-driven one, yeah, asking the data. 
right now, are you the only ones accessing this data? I've read you are selling the data to some scientific and research organizations or universities. Um, and have there been any studies or anything that have come out of that? There have been some studies, but we don't really sell the data in a way that's at all personally identifiable or anything like that. It's just an aggregate. It's like how many people did X, Y, or Z. And there have been some studies, yeah, but mostly nobody else accesses it all. I mean, the blog is entirely in-house. I mean, I'm really the only person who works on it. That was another question I had with privacy issues. On one of the posts, you had people's old pictures they post. So how do you get that sort of information, and what other issues are there surrounding the blog? I mean, whenever there's someone's picture in the blog, we've asked them. You know, they'll say there's phenomenon X that's going on, and I'll be like, persons A, B, and C are perfect examples of this phenomenon. And then I just write them a message and be like, hey, uh, is it cool if we use your picture for this blog post? This is the context, blah, blah, blah. They'll say yes, or they'll say no, and I'll go on to other people. Other than the photos, which obviously are personally identifiable, but we have people's consent there. None of the other data ever comes to me in a way where I could actually like say, oh my God, that person is doing this. It's all just either rows and columns of numbers, you know, no usernames and things like that. I just, the whole point of the blog is that there's a lot you can find out from people in aggregate because that's what the internet is great at. It, these vast numbers of subjects, if you will. So getting down in the weeds in one particular person's experience isn't really even useful. But overall, in the way that, for instance, Facebook is getting flack for possibly giving out people's user information, would that, or has that been an issue for you with, if you were to give over some of this data to scientific organizations? No, no, it hasn't really been an issue yet. I mean, Facebook's thing is because they give away stuff to advertisers, I think, and that's not what we're doing at all. So like, I, it's kind of a little apples and oranges sort of situation. More about the blogs. Can you tell me one of your favorite posts, either ones that have already come out or ones that might be in the works? Sure. I like I think the race one is the best. Just a simple analysis of the reply rates of race, say, black women to messages from white men and white men to messages from, say, Asian women and down the line, every permutation. I really like doing that one, especially because it was surprising and it definitely has like struck a nerve in terms of the readership. It by far has the most comments. That particular post has like several thousand and that was pretty cool. As far as like looking forward, we recently launched a, or sort of improved our mobile app, which has like location-based stuff. And I think it'll be really cool to look at how people move and where like the dates actually happen in real time out in the world, which I think would be cool because, you know, generally before mobile became as big a part of the picture as it is now, like, you know, you lose track of people when they leave their computer. You don't really know whether they actually went on a date or not. I mean, there's a few extreme cases where, you know, people get married and they let you know or whatever, but that's a long time between that then and their first message. It would be great to be able to track correspondences of people and just look at how rules or different techniques or approaches to the messaging parlays into better or more frequent actual dates out there. And I think having mobile data will help us kind of tie one to the other. Just because now people take their computers with them and are just constantly doing this all the time. So do you see this sort of as just a fun side project or have you started to see yourself like a amateur sociologist in some ways? Uh, amateur, definitely. I don't really think of myself as a sociologist. I, I definitely, just given my experience with OkCupid and with Spark and Spark Notes before. I feel like I have a pretty good handle on how people act online. Um, I've been doing this as long as really there's been w me and my partners all weathered the first internet bubble, you know. So like we've been at this for a long time now. So like, if I have any expertise, it's that. But mostly I, I do it because it, I'm curious. It's fun. The articles are fun to write. 
obviously, you know, anyone who reads them will see pretty quickly that they, I don't take myself very seriously. It's kind of, I try to keep it a little bit light, even though a lot of the topics that we deal with are actually pretty heavy duty, like race or politics or whatever. You know, and, but it, it, in the final analysis, you know, it is just, it is the behavior of a group of people and it's, it's hard to really proclaim that this is like the final word on how people act in any way. You know, it's kind of just what people are doing right now in online dating. Well, speaking of that, it's sort of interesting. I read in the New Yorker article that was about online dating from last year, a lot like on Facebook or MySpace, online dating profiles are something that's very fabricated and it's an image of yourself you want to project. And you've actually even had a post on exaggeration in profiles, like income or height, everyone wants to be a few inches taller. So how do you correct for that? Or how do you deal with that in your posts? So how do I correct for the for people misrepresenting themselves? Well, one of the most interesting things to write about as a person kind of with my perspective on the whole thing is the difference between what people say about themselves and how they actually act. You know, we, we did the height or income thing by looking at what they said and then basically factoring out the most likely actual height of that person based on basic demographics or the whole site. But but even deeper than that, when you find people, for instance, getting back to the race post that I was talking about earlier, like you find people who will say, yeah, I'm totally cool with interracial marriage. Yeah, you know, it, it's fine. I'm totally open to messaging a person of another race. And then they don't actually do that, you know, mm-hmm. or where there's like a disjoint between their observed and their sort of stated behavior, I think is really interesting. And to try to correct for it would ruin that opportunity. So I, I try to write mostly about people's observed behaviors, not what they say they're doing, but what they actually are doing, or not what they say they want, but what the way they're acting. And um, one sort of curiosity question, what are some of the biggest hitters as far as question goes? What are the most significant questions as far as compatibility goes, and has anything surprised you? Well, we've done analysis on kind of two different levels of that very question, actually, because that, that's not only interesting to the public, but is also critical for our business, because we want to make sure all our assumptions about how people actually match up with this question thing that we were talking about earlier actually hold. So on one level, we asked, what are the most important things for what's called clustering, finding like clusters of people who all have an answer to a question in common um, that get along particularly well and are messaging each other. And in terms of like segmenting the OkCupid population, two most important questions are how much you care about politics, not what your politics are one way or the other, but how much you care and how sexually adventurous you are. We were very surprised at that, that you get these quadrants, you know, those two questions that creates like four possibilities of things and those those are the two most definitive questions if you only had to choose two to run the entire site with going forward we would have those two for a blog post we did we asked a sort of different question because of course you, you would have a hard time asking either of those actual questions on a first date with someone so that's that's actually information that's really only useful to us running the site behind the scenes so you couldn't sit down at the dinner table or at a bar and be like you know so how sexually adventurous are you that'd be a hard one to pull off um but uh we asked, what are the most important questions that actually would be easy to ask that you could ask another person like straight up without having them maybe slap you or walk away? So those questions, three most important ones are, are you into scary movies? Have you ever traveled around another country alone? And does chucking it all and going to live on a sailboat sound like a good idea? Which those three questions, if you have them in common with someone else, are the most correlated to you guys actually ending up together. We have maybe like 300 people every day who let us know, hey, I found my like boyfriend or girlfriend on OkCupid, thank you, blah, blah, blah. So we looked at all of those pairs. We took like 100,000 of those pairs of people and asked which are the questions that they most had in common that is statistically least likely that they would have in common. By which I mean, we, we have a question like, you know, 
do you brush your teeth every day? Well, almost every successful couple answers that question. Both of them answer it yes, because almost everyone answers that yes. Mm -hmm. So it's really not that useful to know that, that they have that in common. So we look for questions that are most divisive, but that successful couples actually have in common. So horror movies, huh? Yeah, I know. It's weird, huh? Yeah. Interesting to know. And uh, my last question is, so sitting at home here yeah, with sure. you, um, you're married and have yeah. a kid, and how did you meet? You didn't meet online. I read somewhere, no. but so... Uh, a little personal information. Sure, sure. Um, my wife's name is Reshma. As we both discussed earlier, I went to Harvard. Um, she went to BU, and we met. Like she, I was in this band called the Pissed Officers, which is like a, <laughs> this punk band. And she had a tape of ours, and then like saw us play a show sometime, and then just totally randomly, like a, a year later or something, ran into my friend who was in the band too. It was like, hey, you know, and they kind of hit it off, and so then the three of us hung out, and I guess that that's kind of how you get to know someone in the the way before. Uh, Four websites and there's our little baby plum right now commenting um but yeah that was like 98 or 99 so there was no there's still something to be said for serendipity then. yeah exactly there there definitely is definitely is this has been a podcast from science and the city a not-for-profit program of the new york academy of sciences Christian Rudder will be speaking at the Academy February 15th, just after Valentine's Day. You can find out more information at www.scienceandthecity.org or email us at scienceandthecity at nyas.org. That's all for now, but in the coming weeks, stay tuned for a special series of podcasts on nutrition. Nutrition.